friend is a buddy that you love. We bring him on the show to teach us some stuff. And when the show comes to an end, if anyone asks, you must contend. Jason and Kelsey have friends. Jason and Kelsey have friends. All right, welcome to Jason and Kelsey have friends. I'm Jason. And I'm Kelsey. That's two weeks in a row that I got applause on that, by you the way. You didn't get applause last time, did you? Yeah, I did. I got applause from uh, from my three-year-old uh, niece. Oh, that's right. Who's in attendance. We yeah. had a guest. Uh, it's also okay to applaud yourself from time to time. Yes. Oh, that's... Wow. That's... Yeah. That was deep. No, that's deep. That's, that is something I should... Well, everyone have a great week. I should do. That was it. I'm good. We're done recording We're now? Done. I'm done. Okay. Well, before we... <laughs> Before we end the recording, let me finish. And we are two Bay Area Asians learning from our friends. <laughs> uh, Kelsey. And what? I'm Kelsey. <laughs> and I'm Jason. All right. Uh, learn anything this week? How's right. your week been? Smooth Very, transition. very good. <laughs> There's only thing, one thing smoother than that transition. And that's the type of criminal Michael Jackson was. Think about it. Think I'm, about not, it. I'm not shortening that pause when I edit this. Oh, that was gonna be awkward. Um, what did I learn this week? So, uh, I, nice to see you, Jason. By the way, really Lovely. nice to see you. Great cover, as always. Great cover. The cover of your own song. <laughs> okay. yeah, it was really good. It was very good. It was very good cover. Um, what I learned this week. So, uh, a little bit of a, a a bit of a downer, but a little bit of an upper. I'll say. Uh, my uncle unfortunately passed away. Oh, no. Within the last uh, week and a half. And so I will be going to his funeral and I may be speaking at the funeral. So oh, I was wow. trying to look at some uh, good reference speeches that I can hopefully glean from. And mm-hmm. I actually stumbled upon a speech that Robert F. Kennedy gave to the city of Indianapolis when Martin Luther King was assassinated. Oh, okay. Wow. And what was very interesting that I learned about that is... When Martin Luther King was assassinated, most African-American predominant areas or even just major cities rioted after they had heard that he had been killed. Mm -hmm. But after uh, Robert F. Kennedy's speech, uh, Indianapolis was one of the few major cities at that time that did not riot. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is an interesting fact. A little bit down, a little down, and up. It's definitely a, a downer. A downer. <laughs> it was okay. a downer. Yeah. I thought it was an upper, and then I said it out loud. I was like, "No, it's still a downer." But I was hey. still, I'm still waiting for when you're gonna like turn it around. But yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> turn it around. <laughs> yeah, I guess the up part is that a riot didn't happen. Didn't happen. Sometimes it's great when things don't happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I, I hope, um, I hope that goes well, and uh, yeah. I hope that a riot doesn't break out. I also hope that yeah. that would also be not good. But yeah, yes. man. I mean, I feel like that's such a big responsibility. It's like deliver. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah. I, I, that's why, like, I'm trying to take it very seriously. But yeah, that's yeah. why, like, that's why, that's generally what I do when I try to draft something is I'll try to get get in that right mood or try to get what I'm trying to say and then see what other people have done in the past. But yeah, yeah. anyway, that's what I learned this week. What did you learn this week? <laughs> so, something about fruit. I'm going to go ahead and guess. You're so close. Something I learned something of, about garlic this no, week. <laughs> I, don't, I still don't understand your obsession. Food is... It excites you. Food is great, yeah. Food's fantastic. Food excites most people, yeah. Food I'm is a huge very, fan of food. Some would say it's essential. Yeah. Um, the thing I learned this week was about a f- type of garlic called solo garlic. Have you heard of this? N- no. <laughs> I have not heard of this. Why would anyone... Yeah, of course, solo garlic. Let's okay, so, so solo garlic is 
a type of garlic where instead of being formed of many cloves mm-hmm. within a bulb, all the cloves have been fused together. Oh, so it's just one clove. It's just one what? big undivided piece of garlic. How? Yes. And on top of that, it's also very easy to peel. Ooh. So you just like pop it open and start dicing and just start dicing it. Well, how big is it? It's the size of a regular can, garlic of a regular. Yeah. Like from three to five centimeters in diameter. Oh my. It's about, yeah, it's about a normal enormous. piece of garlic. Why, yeah. why would I ever need to do cloves then? I would rather do that. I, I'm not really sure. And supposedly in Asia and also like in Europe, mm-hmm. this is a very common thing that you can buy in like supermarkets. Are, and oh, America is like one of the few places where we're cloved garlic only. Are we getting hosed with all the extra work that's required of having multiple cloves of garlic? I think there might be some sort of like connection to the recipe book industry and how like, oh, you I know, see. the recipes involve like right. a couple cloves. And then once you introduce this one, people are like, what's a clove? Like, <laughs> you want me to put three solo garlics in this, yeah. like in the sauce? Like, you know, it's just a way to protect us maybe at this from point, mayhem. At this point, my chicken Parmesan is now... 45 percent garlic yeah exactly yeah <laughs> well, um yeah I'm, so gonna go, go. I'm gonna go search out for solo garlic yeah solo garlic other names include like pearl garlic or like single clove monobulb single bulb it's like a lot of names you did a lot of research on that fact oh i went deep did you yeah <laughs> <laughs> have you heard of garlic bread can you no? But I mean, but can you imagine garlic bread where you literally put circles of garlic oh, on the yeah, bread? That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm actually a fan of the like. I'm always mincing the garlic like mm-hmm. into little pieces. I don't like them when they're too big. I mean, I've heard it's really good. I just never. I don't know. It's too much garlic. It's like yeah. Here's a scoop of paprika. Just like eat that. No, I'm okay. I'm good. Yeah, it's it's okay. Is it though? It's okay. It you're a just bit of judgment you're just eyes. living life in a limited way, and that's, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that works for some people. It's okay. I guess that's true. That's fair. <laughs> well, you know who's not living life in a limited way? Our next guest is uh, a very good friend of mine. Uh, he's a lifelong Southern Californian. Grew up in Torrance, California. After a brief stint at El Camino Junior College, our guest went to a publicly funded academic program in Westwood, California, also known as UCLA where he, aside from obtaining his history degree and participating in UCLA's rugby team and UCLA Unicamp, he met the first love of his life, me. After UCLA, (laughs) he received his Juris Doctorate at the University of Arizona James E. Rogers College of Law, and after graduating, worked as an attorney across multiple areas from education, constitutional claims, civil defense litigation, and professional liability defense, and currently works for the County of Orange as the Deputy County Counsel. In his spare time between spending time with his lovely wife and his wonderful daughter, he enjoys weightlifting, watching the Dodgers play baseball, and the Bruins do basically anything. Wait, he's a Dodgers fan? Yeah, he's a Dodgers fan. I forgot to mention that. God. And this is, why, this is why I try to hold it from you. In addition, he maintains a... also a Dodgers fan. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> In addition, he maintains a collection of Los Angeles sports memorabilia, a collection he inherited from his father, Rick O'Brand, 40-year teaching veteran at Carson Street Elementary School, multi-teacher of the year award winner. That's his father, not the person coming up. Please welcome to the podcast, my buddy, David Dave O'Brand. 
That intro. <laughs> that intro is so long. That intro legitimately was as long as the what we learned this week yeah. and the intro. <laughs> but I just wanted to get it all out. I also like that you're basically revising it as you're reading. Oh it. yeah, <laughs> totally. Exactly. I was doing. I was doing live spark notes. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> How's it going, Dave? Great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, thank you for the intro, Kelsey. You're welcome, David. You can, you can, if you want, you can put that on your voicemail. I'll, I'll be glad to record it for a small fee. So, Jason, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say it's too long to fit into the the voicemail time. Yeah. Wait, your voicemail is roughly four minutes, right? <laughs> I do think it's funny that you called me David Dave O'Brand when you certainly know me as Dave Obi O'Brand. That's true. Well, I, so I was gonna <laughs> actually ask you that later, but I was kind of thinking of it like a wrestler. Oh, know? okay. Yeah. Wait, what is Obi? OB, so actually this is this goes into how I know Dave. But I'm, okay, yeah. I'm gonna go ahead and just take this question. Great question, by the way, Jason. Great question. <laughs> I'm gonna go ahead and just park it over here for a second. And by a second, I literally mean in the next 30 seconds, you're probably gonna be asking me this question. <laughs> what are you doing? Okay, so <laughs> so <laughs> Dave, how do you know up. Kelsey? There Kelsey, how do you know Dave? <laughs> D- do you want to go first, Dave? You want me to go first? I can No, it's your show. It is my first of all, you're damn right, it's my show. <laughs> <laughs> um, how I know Dave. So Dave is actually very uh, I don't know if you guys have seen Dave, very athletic build strong person he played rugby he's super into like football and but you're strong too kelsey that's very nice Whoa, <laughs> this i thought there was going to be a lot more antagonism but this is great oh just, done this just, just setting you up Ooh, are you are you fall, yeah. buttering me up <laughs> yeah exactly um but anyway so dave and i are pretty different in the sense like i don't really know that much about sports and we met doing uh a nonprofit volunteer program called ucla unicamp and uh, i got to know dave because he was session and over the time that we were preparing to help kids go up to the san bernardino mountains for the summer dave and i just got super close and it was dave's actually the perfect example of people can be completely different in terms of interests and stuff but like fundamentally his humor his outlook on life i i think we gravitated toward each other and i think dave is actually one of the nicest dudes i've ever met so that's how i know dave awesome Dave, how did you know me? Uh, your adjacent roommate, I don't know, your floor mate, Jeff, introduced me to Unicamp and also his whole circle of friends at UCLA. I was a transfer to UCLA, so struggling to find people. Um, so I think that's how I met Kelsey. Um, I think Kelsey touched on something really cool about Unicamp and why it's such a unique experience, not just for the kids that we work with, but for the counselors that train you know, when I got to UCLA, I had just finished playing junior college football and my whole life had been like football. And I can remember one of the very first meetings, the director of our session did this thing called quiet coyote. And that meant everyone had to be quiet and coming from a football background where my coaches uh, would probably break my fingers. If I tried to quiet coyote someone, (laughs) that was a a hard pill for me to swallow. But, you know, we're all there for one fundamental reason, and that's because we care about giving back to the community and helping kids. And, you know, at a certain point, like Kelsey said, I probably didn't fit in all that well. But, man, I found a bunch of people that I love. And, uh, you know, that's a really cool thing. People from backgrounds that I had never met before. And that's one of the great things about going to a large public university like UCLA, living in a really diverse state like California. But, you know, Unicamp was like the perfect microcosm of 
you can come from any walk of life, but when you share those really fundamental core beliefs, it's really easy to make friends with just about anyone. Yeah. That's what I said, basically. I, I said, it was similar. Yeah. I don't want to say you're right. That, that is another reason why you guys are different. Like he's a lot more eloquent than you, but yeah, yeah it's okay. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Let's see. Uh, oh, man, 17 minutes in. I was waiting. I was waiting. <laughs> I had a bet with myself when the roasting would start at uh, 17. It was like plus or minus. Um, but yeah, so that's how, that's how I know Dave. That's awesome. Yeah. This Unicamp thing is, again, like, a, this is not the first time we've talked oh, about Unicamp on the podcast. It's, I, it sounds like an awesome organization. So I will say this. Uh, Dave is actually the first non-Asian guest on the podcast, but he is not the first Unicamp person on the podcast. So Diana uh, has done it. Will has done it. Uh, you know, an interesting thing about Will and Diana and you and your wife, I've known uh-huh. each of you individually and each of you have been my friends separate from you guys being married or even couples. And I can remember seeing each of those two couples form, develop, get married, have kids. Like that's a pretty amazing thing to like, very rarely do I know a couple individually as friends. And that's really cool. Yeah. You're that welcome, Dave. Cool. You're welcome. <laughs> what a nice service yeah, that yeah, you provided. I I'm, to waiting, Dave. Like, I'm waiting for <laughs> I'm waiting for the burns to start coming. I'm really scared right now. I don't. I want. I want to end the conversation right now. Um, but aside from bringing Dave on to compliment me, which is great, we did bring Dave on because Dave wants to talk about what he has learned, uh, and the topic this this week is going to be growing from grief. So. Dave, what does that mean to you? And what is that related to? Well, you know, first of all, Kelsey, I'm sorry to hear about your uncle. Oh, um, thank you. You know, I can remember preparing to write my dad's eulogy, which is the single hardest thing I've ever had to put on paper. And it's the single hardest thing I've ever had to speak out loud. But it was incredibly easy to do in a way because you know, I was able to really reflect on what my dad meant to me and not just me because he was a great school teacher. I got to reflect on what he meant to his community. And I don't know how anyone else felt about the eulogy, but, you know, I was happy I did it. Um, I still keep that eulogy in my desk. Um, It was a hard experience, a great experience for me personally. And uh, if you, I would love to talk to you about it if you ever do have any concerns, questions, whatever. Uh, well, thank you, Dave. Um, maybe just to maybe level set as well. So maybe maybe toward like halfway point of us knowing each other, I know that you'd mentioned that, you know, your dad wasn't in the best health. Do you mind telling us a little bit more about, you know, what was going on in your family around that time period? Um, so, you know, spent my whole life in LA and I went off to Arizona for law school. And then it's spring break of my last year of law school in uh, March of 2013. And I'm actually up at spring training with Rob and a few other people. Mm-hmm. And I get a call. and My dad's about to have surgery to remove a tumor. And um, fast forward to April of 2022, he passed away. So a really long battle. He was stage four the entire time. I got to see a pretty steep decline, um, which was difficult. But also, you know, I'm really fortunate and happy that I was at a position in my life where, you know, I was kind of looking at my life in Arizona and what my options were there, but I could so easily just move away from all that, get back home. And I got to spend almost an extra 10 years with my dad. 
And again, as I deal with the grief of my dad, I'm really happy when I reflect on that time. It was always difficult. It was difficult for me. It was difficult for my family. Times it was difficult for my career. But, you know, my dad always thought I moved home for him, but I moved home for myself. You know, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't take that time to be back with him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe just stepping back too, because I mean, you know, at this time, and I remember visiting you at law school in Arizona and it was, you know, like we had just graduated, right? You know, there's a lot of, you know, life ahead of us that we're not really anticipating to have to mentally prepare for something as big as, you know, the passing of someone that we care about. So when you first got that call, what was your first thought? Were you like, it's going to be a decade and I'm going to have time to process? Or were you just like, what's happening? What do I need to do to kind of get through the next day, the next week, the next month? Uh, so when I got the first call, I remember I was actually in a bar slash restaurant in Scottsdale and I was having a great time. Right. And then I got this call and there wasn't a lot of details. My plan actually was to stay and write a paper to be published. You know, it's kind of like writing your thesis for yeah. certain programs. And I hadn't finished and I thought I had a week to work on it. And then I got that call and I just flew home. You know, what else is there to do at that point? Right. And I was there when he had the surgery. And, you know, what he told me was the doctor said he had about six months to live. What was it, by the way? Dan? And I don't know. Sorry. It's starting it was a stage four kidney cancer. Kidney. And by the time the tumor was removed, it had grown to about the size of a grapefruit. Oh, wow. So it was, it was huge. It was stage four metastasized to the brain and the lungs. So, you know, immediately we all thought we just had a very short time with him. And uh, my dad is, was an incredible fighter. And so over time, you know, the, the crazy thing about having a parent with terminal cancer for almost 10 years is at any point you think they can die, but at the same time, you kind of feel like they never will die. Um, because every time it seems like you're really about to see it happen, here's another three years, four years, you know, here's another milestone. My dad saw me pass the bar. Um, he saw me get my first job as an attorney. He saw me get a bunch of other jobs as an attorney. <laughs> he saw me get married. He was there when Zoe was born, like all these milestones that, you know, when I first got the call, or at least when I first got to understand the news and the severity of things, I didn't think he was going to see. Right. Um, so you cherish each of those and you just hope he gets to see the next one. And you kind of think he will. Right. Um, he never got to see this house that I live in. It's one of the few things in my life that he never got to see. I don't know what that means to me, but you know, there is a there's a dividing line between dad being well enough to see all the things that I have done in my life and not, and then passing away. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Dave, I appreciate the candor because it's like, you don't know how what that means, right? Because this is probably one of the first major life achievements, events, whatever that, you know, someone that's important to you is not going to be there for. Probably going to take some time to like figure what that is. And we might have to follow up with them in a little bit if we do a part two of this. <laughs> um, but I did also want to uh, get a, a thought. You know, I think obviously there was an emotion that you felt when you first heard about it. But then when you went back to LA from Arizona, did you get a sense of how your dad was feeling about it? This is probably uh, one of the more difficult parts for me to talk about. So I apologize 
for getting a little emotional here. You know, but you guys just going to have to give me a minute. Yep. Um, I don't think there's anyone who knows me well that doesn't know how incredibly close my dad and I were. And uh, it was difficult to move to Arizona, but it was really important for me to do law school on my own, you know, because my dad, such a huge influence in every aspect of my life. Uh, you know, it's funny. The only reason why I loved UCLA growing up was because my dad used to take me there all the time. You know, I grew up going to Poly Pavilion in the Rose Bowl. And there's a great story I love to tell when I went to my first UCLA basketball game, walking down from the dorms to Poly Pavilion. I felt like I was floating down there because it, it was unfathomable to me that I was going to UCLA and watching a game as a, a Bruin, not just as a fan. But when I went to UCLA, I almost felt like I was disappointing my dad because, man, he really loved watching me play football. And I had an opportunity to go play football at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo, which was a great school. And, you know, I always felt a little guilty that he didn't get to see me play football a couple more years because I know how much that meant for both of us. Mm. But, you know, when I went to Arizona, I also felt guilty because, you know, as much as my dad was my best friend, I was his. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he was happy to have me back home. But I know, like I said, he took responsibility for me moving back home. He knew I had some opportunities out there. As much as he wanted me to succeed and be who I was, you know, selfishly, he wanted a son close by, of course. And like I said, I didn't move back there for my dad. I moved back there for myself. That was my best friend. So there was a lot of conflict for all of us, and especially for him and I, because neither of us have ever wanted to hurt each other, but we both felt like we were asking too much of each other at different times. Um, Got it. And nothing he ever did is anything he ever needed to apologize for, you know, because I've done what I wanted in life. Like I came back home for me, like I always say. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's hard to deal with knowing that he was conflicted and I was always conflicted. And that's uh, a part of the recovery process that I don't think will ever get completely settled because it's just a fact of life. Mm. You know, that's relationships. Like there's no such thing as a perfect relationship. You're going to fight with your spouse your kids are going to do stuff that disappoints you. You're going to hurt your kids. Yeah. You know, that's just part of life. And part of dealing with grief is facing those things, at least for me, and acknowledging them and appreciating them. Because, you know, the, the silver lining of all that was that incredible love between my dad and I. What I struggle with his loss, I reflect on that. Yeah. And that's a really important part of it. I mean, I I think one of the things I, that, that stands out to me, you describe your dad more as a friend, which is really heartening, right? Like 
when we did UCLA Unicamp, we used to do these kind of, you know, get to know you kind of things. And they would sometimes get really personal if you, you know, wanted it to be. And we got really close as a group. And Dave, I, I, I remember actually one of the big reasons why UCLA was, you know, such a great fit for you or why you wanted to come here was because I think you'd mentioned like your dad was a huge fan and it's beautiful, man. Like it's great that, you know, on the one hand, it's, it's a great relationship to have, but it also just hurts that much more when it's gone. And huge condolences to you, Dave. I know like it, it, it's clearly there's, there's something that's gone that was, that's, that was there before, but that's something kind of beautiful to think about as well. So. Well, thank you, Kelsey. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I think it's funny that you and I are having this conversation right now because very rarely have we ever had a conversation that has stayed serious for more than about 30 seconds. (laughs) And uh, this is probably the most public I've ever spoken to your huge audience. I understand. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) We have tens of (laughs) listeners. That was was an unfair. uh, We have have tens (laughs) of 10 year olds. Our tens are very. But, uh, you know, that rawness of those emotions is important to me because, you know, one of the other things that I relied on a lot when I was kind of going through grief was other people's stories and how I could connect and uh, see how people came out on the other side okay and in some cases arguably better. I don't think anyone would ever say that themselves, you know. there's been a lot of times where I've been able to reflect and say, you know, this is a lesson that I learned and it's a positive thing in my life, but I would trade all those down my dad. Back. Right, right. But uh, telling my story out loud is important for me because I understand what other people's stories help me get through. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I could help one other person connect in a way that helps them get through their own grief, I'd be really happy. And I hope more of this conversation is a little bit uh, funnier, at least, maybe not lighter, but funnier. Because <laughs> that's also something I rely on a lot is humor yeah. to get me through tough times. Gotcha. I was just curious because like, you didn't know it was going to be 10 years, but like, you know, th- th- that is a good amount of time. Were you able to actually talk to your dad about the things that, about that conflict during that time? Did you feel that having that time kind of changed the way that you had intended to live your life? And uh, yeah, like how did, how did that turn out? So to the first question, being able to talk to him directly about things, you know, my dad was a teacher and he loved to teach through stories, which I think is why I reach out to stories myself so often. And I tell him myself. So for me, you know, when I was in high school, after every game, I'd go out and get some food, come back home. You know, a lot of times kids were going to a house party somewhere. I'd sit on the couch and my dad and I would talk about the game and other things till about 1 a.m. And it would be him teaching me lessons, not telling me what to do or what he thinks about my life, but just telling me his experience and stories that taught him lessons. And so when he was sick, we still did that. And we never had like these direct, like, hey, dad, it hurt me when you did this or son, you know, you leaving to Arizona was difficult for me. But we got to a point, we got to a point where there's a couple things that he told me about his outlook on life, which was dramatically different than 
what it was before. And they were things that he knew were important to me. And I won't get into those because they are sensitive subjects for a lot of people. But the fact that he came around to my point of view showed me that he was understanding me and it was important for him to acknowledge we had tension in our relationship. So that was really important to me. And then the day that he died, he called me that morning. He just wanted to say, I love you. And then I was sitting in a courtroom of all places, negotiating a couple cases, trying to settle some things for the day. And I got a call from my mom and I looked at everyone and I said, I gotta go. I knew what it was. And so he was calling to say goodbye. And that's so incredibly important to me. And this last part to that story might be a little difficult for people to hear, but one thing you don't know until you know if someone passes away in a home, they stay in that home until the coroner comes. So I raised from Orange, Orange County back home because at the point in time in which I got the call, he was in cardiac arrest. He had it passed away, but I knew this was it. And he had passed and I got in there and he was laying on our floor, which was at first very jarring. Yeah. But uh, my dad and I had this very special um, way of showing our love to each other in a very like assertive way where we would always kiss each other on the forehead. Usually I'd be sitting on a chair and he'd say goodnight, kiss me on the forehead. And, you know, especially once he got sick, I would always do the same to him. Uh, I got to go down. I got to kiss him on the forehead. And I got to say bye goodbye. And I just appreciated that call because he knew he had to do that for me. You know, that's the sort of way we worked. It was never direct, you know. I think he knew he was going to die that day. It's kind of crazy. Uh, that was April 8th. 2022, his mother passed away April 7th, 1992, 30 days or 30 years, one day before. And the relationship I had with my dad is almost exactly the relationship he had with his mom, which is a little scary because I'm thinking, am I going to die? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, you know, but, uh, just got to make it through April 9th. Yeah. 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 <laughs> April 9th, 30 years from now. <laughs> Big day um, uh, <laughs> hey, hey, Siri, set reminder to call Dave April 8th. No, I'm just, oh, crap. I think I actually triggered it. Um, <laughs> uh, I forgot your second question. I'm sorry. Uh, so my second question was, um, I'm sure being in law school, like you had a kind of vision for how you wanted your career to play out or your life to play out like post law school. And I and was wondering if, yeah, like w what changed in, in your plan? Uh, yeah. So if you guys get tired of me answering all these questions with some long diatribe, let me know. Um, <laughs> but you know, so the short answer to your question is, um, I don't think it really changed the trajectory in a meaningful way. Okay. Because, you know, uh, Kelsey, I told you before we started that I might call a distinction between growing up at Torrance and living in Harbor city, which is where my parents' condo was. And, you know, that's a, non-incorporated area of Los Angeles. I would have gone to LAUSD schools 
And so when I went to all those torn schools, which is a very affluent community and associated with all those kids, I always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder. And then when I saw them being able to do things like go to Washington, D.C. for whatever that middle school trip that everyone does that my parents just couldn't afford, it really made me feel like that much more of an outsider. So, you know, you talked about my reverence for UCLA and that's part of it. You know, I didn't think a kid like me could go to a place like UCLA. So, you know, to the long answer to your question is when I went to law school, the plan was to become a sports agent and that quickly fizzled out. That sounded miserable to me. Mm-hmm. But when I was in law school, I took this great class with a great professor named Mike McGrath. I don't think he was the lead singer of Sugar Ray. That's Mark um, McGrath, bro. That's what I said. He's not him, Kelsey. Why? This is. I see. By the way, this is where the falling out happened. It was our. It was our misunderstanding of Sugar Ray based. Yeah, yeah. Band members. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and it taught me this whole section of law that I seem to be really good at. And then I had this really great option of staying in Tucson, working for this firm run by a guy named Lowell Rothschild that had this awesome picture of him flipping off the camera in his office. So the first thing you saw when you walked into his office was this angry man flipping you off, which reminded me of my grandpa, Marty. Um, And I loved it there. So, you know, as far as changing my plans, like, yes, I had this very good option in Tucson that someone might say, I left behind. But like Kelsey said, I also got to come back to LA. I met my wife. If I could change anything about my life, it wouldn't be anything related to my career or where I've made it now. So again, very long answer to a very simple question, but it didn't change. And you know, an important thing for me again is I have these set of principles influenced by my dad quite a bit. You know, and tough decisions tend to not be too difficult for me because I just reflect on those and the decision usually makes itself pretty clear. You're going through finding out that your dad has stage four kidney cancer, but you're also going through a lot of these formative events in your life. Like I remember when you first mentioned that you were dating Patricia and that happened, I believe, after you had found out about your dad. So I guess this is more of a broader question, but how do you manage these kinds of things? You know, like, cause your life doesn't stop. It feel, I'm sure it must've felt like it did, but like, how, how did you, was that a conscious thing where you just like, I need to do things to, you know, keep some normalcy or was it like just kind of unconscious? I, it, cer- it certainly wasn't conscious, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, at no point did I think, all right, I got to get back to living. Um, And I think that's one of the things that's really special about my dad. You know, he was such a strong person. And uh, at no point did I feel like, all right, I got to dedicate everything. Let me take one step back. Not just special about my dad, special about my mom. You know, the thing that always stands out in my mind is I always felt loved and I always felt supported. And so going to law school in Arizona by myself was not difficult because my parents always just instilled an incredible amount of confidence in me. And, uh, I also knew if somehow I crashed and burned, I had two people I could fall into that were going to help me. Um, so 
I don't think my perspective on living my life changed at all. I knew I had to find a job. Well, when, when I first moved back, I had to study for the bar. So I did make one deviation from maybe the normal path instead of taking an in-person bar prep that most law students take. I took an online version so I could just study at home and be with my dad. Because at that point in time, we really did think he didn't have much time to live. And it was actually a pretty awesome experience. People hate studying for the bar. It's super easy. I loved it. Though. Yeah. I don't I, I don't understand. <laughs> like I, it's very easy. It like I don't know. <laughs> that's what I've been told. This is not to, intended to sound arrogant at all because I think most people could look at my academic record and say he's probably not the smartest guy in the world. But, uh, you know, I'd, I'd go to the gym at 9.30 every day. I would take a CrossFit class. I'd come back home. I would study basically nonstop from the time I got home to 7, other than, like, eating lunch and taking a few breaks here and there. And then the Dodgers were usually on at 7. Yeah, bro. Sorry, Jason. Freaking Dodgers, bro. <laughs> All the blue. And the, I want to say gray. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, love those yeah. sports things. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, studying for the bar exam was a great time for me because I had to go to the gym every day, study, so I was being productive. And then I got to watch a baseball game with my dad almost every night. And I'd still go out with friends once in a while to grab a beer or something. But when you're studying for the bar, you're not really socializing all that much. So unlike most people that I think kind of lock themselves in solitude, I got to do it with my family around, which was awesome. I mean, uh, Dave, I was just going to say, you always like sell yourself. Like, I know you joke about it, but it's like, no, Dave's like very, very hard worker. Like you could tell, like, who's just like, yeah, I go to the gym in the morning and then I study for nine hours and then I watch yeah, a baseball I game. Know. Like, <laughs> as if that's at, like, yeah, what as if that's doing. like something that people are like, <laughs> yeah, I know, totally. Yeah. I do that all the time. So uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think it, uh, you are a little bit underselling yourself because it's just like, dude, because the bar is hard. If anyone wants to get anything from this conversation, the bar is a hard <laughs> test to take. Yeah. It sets the bar. It, I, <laughs> set that up for you. But, uh, but yeah. But, but, best joke of the day. Yeah, the there show. we right, go. Right. There, there you go. This show should have ended like at certain points of this conversation. But, but yeah, Dave, like, but again, like the fact that you're navigating all of this, right? Like you're studying for a very difficult test. You're meeting the second love of your life. And we can talk about who your first love was. These these things are still kind of passing, and you're still having to like manage it. Like again, in, in, in I think your answer that you said is it's probably a little bit more unconscious. But like when you reflect back on it, were you like, how did I do this? <laughs> like, you know, I'll be honest. I think everyone's life is difficult. I think I've had some difficulties in my life that maybe most of my friends haven't had. You know, I look at someone like my mom who came here from another country when she was 21 years old and basically had to support her five other siblings and her mother and survive in advance. And, you know, she's in the insurance business and has had this great 30 year career without a college degree, without speaking English when she came here. And I can just about guarantee you when she looks through her past, she doesn't look and say, how did I do that? She just did what she had to do. And maybe that's uh, denying the truth a little bit, but it's never felt like I was doing something extraordinary just by living my life and accomplishing the things that I set out to do. What was it like observing your family go through this? Because you talk about your mom and obviously your brother. 
how how would you describe how the experience was for other family members having to be in a similar position as you? You know, the the toughest thing was watching my mom because more than my life and more than anyone else's life, her life changed besides my dad's. Right. You know, and definitely towards the end of his life, she was his primary caretaker. He was more or less bedridden for about two years. Um, and we had some help in the house and we were really fortunate to be at a point in time in our life. And thankfully my brother convinced my parents to get an insurance policy that supported that. Um, but you know, my mom really shouldered a huge amount of the load and lost a lot of her ability to, you know, do the things that I was doing, continue my life. And the hardest part was watching all that and feeling the lack of appreciation for her, not from my father or from me, but, you know, everyone came there to see my dad. Yeah. And, you know, that's natural. Right. But not very many people went there to see my mom and check in with her. And that's really difficult to stay strong and devoted when you sort of feel like the things you're doing are going unnoticed in a way. Yeah. 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 And I don't think they ever were, but again, I don't know if my mom would ever describe it the way I just did. I think she would just say, I did what I had to do for my husband and for her children. I know she did it for my brother and I, she didn't want us to lose out on our opportunities to get married, have careers, have kids. Um, And that's pretty incredible that again, the love and support from my parents have provided the uh, framework, the foundation for me to pursue all these things in my life. There are some uh, interesting parallels because we're getting older. So obviously there's a lot of you know older relatives that the uh, previous generation is starting to have to take care of. And I can tell you, you know, my mother is very similar to your mother, Dave, in the sense of, you know, you want to help, but there's a lot of, oh no, you have children to take care of. You have a life, you have a career, blah, blah, blah. But there is that level of guilt that you do feel because it's like, well, you're shouldering all of this burden. And even if you do want to try to help, that is kind of like a justifiable reason for you to be like, I have to raise these kids, but then all these other things are happening. And like, I, I guess I'm just sympathizing because I, I know that it's this weird struggle and I just never, I never feel like I have a good answer, you know? Yeah. Personally, I think, uh, you know, we have all these uh, ideas of like the Maslow's hierarchy, right? For our personal <gasps> well-being. Is that camp? Is that camp <laughs> concepts? <laughs> well, <gasps> turns out it's actually a psychological concept. Nope, it's a camp That's concept. It's not. I don't know what psychology is. Is that is that a code word for camp? <laughs> uh, you know, but I think I think the same could be said, you know, for like pursuing life. You know, there's certain fundamental things you have to get done in order to progress through life in a manner that is healthy. Mm. And so I don't know exactly what the rankings are, but for all the same reasons why I moved back to LA for me, not for my dad going over there, giving my mom a break, supporting her sometimes just being there to watch TV with them. So they weren't alone together. Like all that was for me, it wasn't an obligation. It wasn't guilt. This is part of my life in order to get to the stages of life that I want to get to. This is a necessary part of that. Just like Maslow's hierarchy. This is one of those steps, you know, being there with my family, not for them, but with them through a difficult time is part of that. Now I'm thinking about like, 
the topic is like growing from the grief. So maybe let me hear a bit about how it's been in, over the past year and where you're at now and, and how you've gotten to, to where you are now. And, and yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, the trajectory of this conversation is similar to how the grief has been, you know, the beginning parts of this conversation were really difficult. And I think since then it's gotten a lot easier and that's going through grief. You know, when my dad passed away being Jewish, uh, one of the fortunate things, but it's also one of the unfortunate things you bury the dead very early, very quickly, mm. within days. Wow. So my dad had been sick all these years and we had some things in place and ready to go, but then we had to plan a funeral within days. And because my dad was this tremendous school teacher, that funeral was packed and I had to get the word out to a lot of people. Mm. And so the first few days were just busy and there was no time to think. It was all reaction other than writing that eulogy. Mm -hmm. And then the funeral happened. And, you know, for a long time, calls came in and support was there. And it's never really stopped, but it slows down naturally. And so I would say about six months into things, I felt very lonely. You know, I've really felt the impact of not having my dad around. And right around that time, I went through a really difficult time at work, which... I think delayed my grieving process. And so I have only just started to really pull out of it. And one thing I've done is, uh, Kelsey, I know you've seen it. I've started an Instagram yeah. dedicated to my dad's collection. And he had this just a really cool collection of cards, programs, autographs, and it's been awesome to tell those stories that he used to tell me that used to help me so much. And every once in a while I get someone telling me how much that impacted them. You know, that's empowered me a lot. And I've thought a lot about how can I pursue this passion? And, you know, one thing I've thought a lot about is getting into the public square and potentially running for local politics here in California or something like that. So I have an opportunity to tell these stories, not just my dad's, but my own in a way that can also directly benefit my community. Um, so the growth aspect has been finding my ways to give back to my community. It's been small with the Instagram thing, and I'm trying to find more ways to do more. Um, and that's helped me tremendously. You know, again, I can reflect on all this difficulty with my dad over those almost 10 years and say, yeah, I, I don't, I wish it never happened, but at least I'm able to do this now. And it's not something I don't, I don't think I would have pursued, certainly while he was sick. I don't know if I ever would have. I don't know if I ever would have had that spark to really push me to put myself out there. So I've always been afraid to tell people how I feel. I never wanted to hurt anyone's feelings or even my own. You know, it's tough to be raw and then maybe have someone laugh at you. Like that is frightening. Yeah. But it's brave, man. I mean, it's huge. I mean, it, I think the other thing too is your dad was very much like a local Torrance LA legend. I mean, so much so that in preparing for his intro, I found an article by the Los Angeles Times and they did a piece on his dad. Wow. And on the collection, and I think um, 
just reading about that was really cool because I, I could get a sense just knowing Dave of, you know, the type of person that um, that his father was. I never got the chance to meet him, but I think the way that Dave talks about sports, the way that he interacts, just the type of person he is, like I can tell there's a little bit of your dad's touch there and it's kind of nice to see Dave. So, you know, hopefully, you know, you you can appreciate that. Look, he had it sounded like he had a huge impact on the community um, and in some weird way, you know, the, the, he lives on in, you know, kind of the little things you do here and there, but also just obviously a profound impact on the type of person that, that people know you as and the people who love you as. So that wasn't proper English. I'm pretty sure because you're not supposed to end a sentence in as, but no, it was honestly, it was quite good for you. <laughs> uh, you know, I love that LA Times article. Um, I've posted that thing so many times. I remember how proud my dad was of that article. You know, funny thing about my dad was he never wanted the attention, but man, he would be so proud when he got it. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I used to always call it my dad's party trick. We'd be anywhere and he'd beat some, some stranger and he'd say, hey, what high school did you go to? Or where'd you grow up? They tell them, you know, whatever, small city in Kansas. Uh, did you go to such and such high school? Yeah. How'd you know that? Did you grow up in Kansas? No. What year did you graduate? Tell them the year. Oh, you must have been there when X, Y, and Z was there. And it wasn't always like a major league baseball player. Sometimes it was like a local politician, you know? My dad yeah. just had like this encyclopedic knowledge of where everyone went to high school. Anyone that was – anyone that basically has a Wikipedia page now, my dad knew where they went to high school before the internet existed. And wow. uh, yeah. I called it his party trick, and I, I have reflected on why was that such a big deal for my dad. But my dad really loved people. That's why he was a teacher. That's why family was so important to him. And you think about it, like everyone goes to high school. And I think most people are a little bit proud of where they came from. And so he could always connect with someone if he knew where they went to high school I'll be honest, sometimes it freaked people out. Like we would have people come over to do <laughs> plumbing work on the house and dad would do the same thing to them. And they'd be kind of like, crazy. all right, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm covered in poop now, but I guess we'll have this conversation. <laughs> well, it's crazy. The, the article, and then Dave, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but your dad would go to different schools and literally go to the trophy cases and write down people's names. Oh, wow. So uh, I can tell you the story a bit. My Aunt Lori mm. could tell you the story better than I could, but I think I know it pretty well. It all started with my dad heard that Hugh McElhaney, who was a great NFL running back, went to Washington High School, which is where my dad was eventually going to go to high school. And my dad just thought that was crazy. This guy I'm watching on TV went to the high school I'm going to go to. And he got Hugh McElhaney's football card or something like that. And he read the back and he saw this biographical information. And they saw these other people that had the same biographical information. And that just sparked his little mind into a frenzy. Like, all these people went to high school. I want to know where all, all of them went to high school. And then from there, there's another story where he's sitting in like third grade. And the teacher is using baseball players to teach long division, right? So if Mickey Mantle had X number of at-bats and he got this number of hits, what was his batting average? And most of the kids have to write it out. Well, my dad had memorized Mickey Mantle's batting average among <laughs> every major league baseball player. 
in 19, let's see, what year would that have been? Like 53 probably. And so knew the answer to that question right off the bat. And so there was wow. a period of time where everyone thought my dad was a boy genius. He's, <laughs> he's calculating crazy logarithm in his head. It's like beautiful mind, like just yeah. Turns out he had a great memory. There's no question yeah. about that. Before before he did all that, he had memorized the presidents in order. Like my dad, to the day he died, would write lists. In fact, uh, you were talking about my Instagram handle. It's called Rick's Picks 1946 because. Mm-hmm. Within weeks before he passed away, he had written this list called Rick's Picks. And it was all his favorite things across so many different subjects of life, not mm. just athletes, but it was like favorite foods, favorite memories, favorite rides at Disneyland, just anything he could think of. He made his list. That was my dad. But uh, yeah, it was incredible to watch my dad. Every once in a while, you'd have someone just like almost bear hug my dad. I can't believe you knew that. You're the first person that ever knew that about you. So it was a really amazing way to watch my dad connect with people. And I I have some friends that have had the experience where they were just like, how the hell did your dad know that? (laughs) (laughs) It's always fun for me to hear that. Dave, I got to ask, what is his, and if you don't know it off the top of your head, that's fine. What is his favorite Disneyland ride? I know it's not Dumbo. My not dad, Dumbo. Ooh, my dad, controversial. My dad has extreme disdain for Dumbo the ride because it takes so long to load and unload each each car. Dumbo. Yeah. He's a, he's he's really into throughput. Yeah, yeah. Actually, he's just I do know his favorite ride at Disneyland. I what? I could probably tell you my dad's favorite of almost everything. Okay. But it's it's the Matterhorn. The Matterhorn. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So cl- a bit more of a classic. Okay. Yep. Very and cool. It's always going to be a classic. Yeah, my dad is a classic. He would not fathom to think of riding some newfangled space mountain and say that that's better than the Matterhorn. How could it be? Matterhorn was an original. That's how Rick O'Grant's mind worked. That's crazy. I see, Dave. I didn't know that about your dad, but I do understand that connection that he makes because, look, we went to a high school as many people did, and (laughs) yeah, no, seriously, they let us graduate. Um, but. It's not a well-known high school. So if someone was like, hey, did you go to high school the same time that like whoever who might be somewhat famous? I'd be like, I love you. (laughs) I love you so much. No one. Why would anyone want to know that? It it shows a level of care and like, hey, that, you know, I'm going to try to connect with you on like hell or high water here. So that's pretty cool, man. Thanks. Yeah. And I think that was the intention behind it. Yeah. I feel like I got to start memorizing. Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm gonna start, yeah. I feel like I need to start like, I'm like inspired. Also, I feel like it's good to have like a favorite now, you know, like you can't just waffle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, That's definitely not what I'm like. Yeah, no, yeah. for sure. The funniest thing about my dad's favorites, they were objective to him too. So like diffi- the most difficult parts of our relationship was when I disagreed with him on something totally subjective. <laughs> he, he was almost, he was almost offended by it. You know, you have a story here or like, uh, All right, here's a story. Um, My parents, but especially my dad, would always say something like, I don't know how anyone could ever eat at McDonald's. And I'm like, I don't know. I think a McDonald's cheeseburger is fine. Like, I I think it's good. I (laughs) definitely eat them on occasion. But to him, it was like, that's crazy. That is a piece of crap in your mouth. You know, and it, it was like objectively a fact for him. 
like it's a bad yeah. decision on your like part. Like the, the most popular restaurant yeah, 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 on yeah, the yeah. planet. Yeah. Billions, billions served. Yeah. How could anyone possibly like that? So. <laughs> but you know, that's cool. that's also what made my dad so great because like he was so principled yeah. that it was hard for him to understand. And that could be difficult for a son who could be a little bit subversive. Yeah. Um, you know, and I've always listened to like this really heavy, what people would categorize as like angry music. Right. And my dad definitely hated that. But, you know, another part of my ability to deal with the grief of losing my dad, there's this really amazing post-hardcore band called Fiddlehead. And the lead singer of that band pretty much wrote an entire album to losing his father. And I listened to that thing all the time. I'll be driving. If I have 45 minutes for a drive, I will listen to that album. You know, the angry music is really easy to make fun of because it is kind of ridiculous. You hear these people screaming and these loud guitars. But if you ever want to know like the uh, emotional pool of one of those really quote unquote angry songs, there's another band called Law Dispute. And there's this song called King Park on an album called Wildlife. And I won't tell you about the song, but I would really recommend listening to the words and trying to see how emotional it is. And, you know, that's another reason why I do the Instagram and stuff, because I don't think too many people would find their way of tapping into their emotions by seeking out hardcore music or punk rock music. But for me, that's huge. So I know sports isn't always the most commonly used way of emoting, Mm -hmm. but there are a lot of people that connect to sports on a very deep, deep level. So again, if I could help someone by writing these stories, uh, that's awesome. That's lovely, man. That's really cool. Is there anything else you wanted to cover? That, that seemed pretty extensive. (laughs) I mean, like it's, Uh, you know, if I could say a couple things about my dad, um, you know, he taught for 40 years when he intended to become a teacher. He really wanted to become a high school teacher and be a basketball coach or a baseball coach. And sort of similar to your question, uh, Jason, earlier about did my dad's sickness change the trajectory of my life in any way? You know, my dad's first job was at Harbor City Elementary School. And then his next job was at Carson Street Elementary, where he spent nearly 40 years and almost all of that in classroom 16 on the second floor of the main building. And uh, a lot of times people would ask him, like, you know, my dad was a very intelligent person. And to some people, teaching elementary school doesn't sound like the most distinguished profession, you know? I think a lot of people can understand the passion behind it. But, you know, after some time, why did my dad become a principal or go up to high school and teach that? But he was extremely happy. Mm. But I'm telling you, uh, watching my dad, who I knew as this big, strong, sort of scary man, teach a bunch of sixth graders in this very soft, gentle, loving way, and then get these messages that I still get to this day telling me about how my dad changed their life in the sixth grade. Mm. No, your dad stopped me from killing myself. Wow. I know my dad walked some people down the aisle and that impact he had in the classroom was incredible. And being able to grow up and see someone 
truly live out their passion. It's really empowering. It just tells me as long as I understand my principles and I'm acting in a way that respects those, my decisions, I'm not going to have too many questions about them. I'm not going to say anything else. You're just going to stop. I'm just, I'm You're just going to leave now. I've, I've been, you guys have been dragging me through this conversation. I've been wanted, I wanted to stop like an hour 18 ago. Um, well, Dave, that's, that's true. Yes, I have. I'm very upfront about these yes, things. I know. Um, Dave, thank you so much for sharing, man. Like it, this is probably the most personal topic that someone has taught us. So I really genuinely appreciate that. You know, you coming on here telling us about your dad. I mean, I just, I feel like I, I learned a lot. And um, the the wonderful thing too is Dave will give me a lot of stick about obviously not knowing a lot about football or basketball. But once that passes, and if I have an actual question, like I'll be like, you know, after like, oh, what's a football? Oh, a football. <laughs> after that, Wait, post is that, that. Is that me or is that you? I yeah, think that was a little that? bit of, I think that's you and me together somehow. Um, I'm offended, but, it, but, but also. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, like sometimes, we, like when we were still watching, you know, football games together, I would ask him, mm-hmm. and Dave would have this snarky comment. But then immediately right after that, he would go, "Okay, but this is what's actually happening." <laughs> and I, I can't help but feel that that kind of generosity and just like again, Dave's willingness to connect with you, even if you don't know as much about something, that's a legacy that I think you can keep your father's memory alive because it sounds like your dad was very much like that. And even small things like that, to me, is very powerful. It's obviously a, a, a testament to the type of person you are, Dave, but it's probably a testament to the people who influenced you as well. And uh, I learned that your dad was a great person. So, Thank you, Kelsey. Yeah. Jason, what did you learn? I learned a lot. I, I want to thank Dave. Um, like, we literally just met. <laughs> uh, so to be so um, open and candid... Yeah, it's something that that I appreciate and something that um, I think is very brave and like commendable. Um, I have a friend who recently wrote this uh, piece about this concept of being a bubble person and how there's some people who, because of good fortune or or whatever, are able to kind of uh, postpone the grief that eventually comes for us all. And and, and those people are like considered like bubble people. So for me, I've been trying to embrace the fact that I'm a bubble person and I think the duty of a bubble person is to to listen and to learn and to build and grow like your empathy so that yeah. um you know when these things come like you're you're more equipped for it you're 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 better able to 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 handle that right um yeah so I guess I want to thank Dave for like giving me this this opportunity to learn from your story and to to take it all in um yeah, Probably. I, I, that's, yeah, yeah, that's that's you, my main takeaway. I was gonna say you're very good at internalizing and learning. So, oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. no, I, I think that's I was, something that I I wrestle with a lot because mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not good at it, oh. <laughs> or like I feel like I could be better at it. So, okay. and that that might just be me, like you know, being hard on myself. Right. But yeah, it's something that I try to be like very cognizant. Yeah, of. yeah. it's yeah. not like you started an entire podcast to potentially address a lot of these things to learn and internalize, but. That's true. That yeah. could be said. <laughs> That's a good. Some point. people yeah. could think that, but they would be wrong. Where did for this sweet, sweet cash? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now work from our sponsors. Yes, yeah. exactly. Uh, is it Squarespace up next, or is it? I can't remember. Who it's it Nord is. VPN. Nord, yes, Nord VPN. 
I still don't know what that does. Explore yeah. safely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, Dave, we learned so much about you. Um, and I think what I would love to do is uh, give you your pop quiz. Okay. First game is called Top 5. All right. So you need to give us your top five tips for growing from grief. All right. Well, uh, you know, like a teacher would, I try to make it easy to remember. So it's triple R double P. And I think that's how my dad would have called it. The first one is okay. uh, reflect, you know, try to remember all the good memories, sometimes the painful ones, acknowledge those, embrace them. Just reflect on that. Um, next is to reconnect. And that's to the things that you share in the past with maybe the person that you're grieving. For me, it was a lot of reconnecting to the things that made me happy growing up. That's a huge part of like sports cards and sports collectibles that I've been reconnecting with that I hadn't really engaged with for years. Um, the third R is reach out. And that's in a way that was, you know, reaching out to strangers who said things or performed things or whatever else that helped me understand the grief and move through it. But it's also reaching out to a lot of the people in my life that matter. You know, I think in a lot of ways, me being on this show is me reaching out to Kelsey. And Kelsey and I have been friends for all these years, but we don't talk all that often. But I have reached out to a lot of people that I haven't talked to in a long time. And that has been great. And then the double P, the first one's not necessarily starting with a P. It's defined purpose. And, you know, for the grief, initially, the purpose I found was making a very direct Instagram page dedicated to my dad. And now the purpose has transformed a bit more into trying to give back to my community, not necessarily like my dad did, but, um, you know, that was a really important thing to him. So that's something I have found to be important for myself. And then the last one is pursue your passions. You know, life is hard, no matter who you are, the richest person in the world, the poorest person in the world, their struggles are very different, but it's, they all struggle. We all struggle. And I think we can all look at the people that seem to be the happiest. There's a common theme. They're all really pursuing their passion as a primary part of, geez, that's a lot of alliteration, but they do pursue their passions. <laughs> um, and uh, it makes sense, right? If you're doing something you care about, you're going to be happy, even if it's hard. And a lot of times I think we try to, find ways to make our life as easy as possible, especially in the most difficult times, right? That's kind of what everybody tells you, like take things off your plate. And that's important early on. And I don't think you get to that pursue your passions until you've kind of, at least for me, worked through these other steps. And this is the order that I did it. And I don't think this is necessarily the five steps for everybody else or even in this order, but this is how I proceeded. And I think anyone that listens to this episode is going to hear me cry, which is uncomfortable for me. But even that is a lot of growth because that's not something I could do publicly. It was something I could barely do to my own wife 
prior to going through this experience. And that's a huge amount of growth that I have allowed myself to grow that much emotionally. Um, And it's led to all these other things that I'm really enjoying about my life now. Yeah. Wow. That was great. That was was so clean. Thank you guys. I begrudgingly allow you to pass that one. Yeah, yeah. Begrudgingly pass. Yes, you get yes, a margin. Very memorable. You there's, get a marginal pass. There's a mnemonic and everything. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's the son of a teacher. That's how every lesson was taught to me. <laughs> yeah. All right, Dave. You barely passed that one. Um, <laughs> then, <laughs> so unnecessary. <laughs> uh, next game is called Either Or. All right. So I'm going to give you two options, and all you have to do is pick one of them. All right. So first, Los Angeles County. Or Orange County, Los Angeles County. Every time, I'm Ooh. happy. I'm happy where I am. I love. Yep. Listen, my employer, the County of Orange. Please listen. <laughs> I love you, but home is home. Home is always going to be home. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Next, Dave or Obi. Hmm. Ooh, this one's hard. The anguish on his face as I buy him time. I would say Obi. I feel wow. like everyone who I feel like holds me in a special place in their heart at some point or another calls me Obi. Oh. You know, it wasn't it wasn't Unicamp where Obi was created. <gasps> uh, my high school football coach started calling me Obi, and so all my friends in high school called me Obi. And in junior college, same thing. Those guys, without ever knowing who my high school football coach, they all called me Obi. You know, first two letters of my last name. So it's not the most difficult nickname in the world. But, uh, you know, people call me Dave and David. But just about everybody I care about and that cares about me calls me Obi at some point. Oh, okay. Awesome. So I'll call you David. <laughs> Actually, Mr. O'Brand would be a little bit more polite, yeah. but that's I mean, a little informal, but that's fine. All right. UCLA football or UCLA basketball? This is go. one that's really difficult. Easy. I appreciate the history of UCLA basketball, but I'd be lying if I said UCLA football wasn't my absolute favorite sport to watch in the entire world. I oh. There's only one thing that I really always try to carve out, and that's being able to watch every UCLA football game. And sometimes that's recorded after my daughter goes to bed. I mean, you could almost say the truth about UCLA basketball, but man, UCLA football is my sport, my thing. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. Next, Panda Express or Jimmy John's? So I think this answer, along with all the other ones, will just tell everyone how much I think about things and how ridiculous it is to live inside my own brain sometimes because it's exhausting, especially for my wife. But I think Jimmy John's tastes so good because when you walk in there, that smell is amazing. Oh, the but I like the, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I like the taste of Panda Express better. And I eat Panda Express oh, wow. more often than I eat Jimmy John's. Not that I eat Panda Express with any type of frequency, but Panda Express. Okay. Um. Very important last question, Dave. Uh, Jason or Kelsey? Uh, Jason, no offense. Kelsey's been one of my very good friends for somewhere between 15 to 17 years, depending on yeah. my 
and uh, we have a lot of great <laughs> memories like, together. Like when the Earth was formed, we only have an approximate range of when we met. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Dave, you passed that one much better than the first one. I mean, that first <laughs> one was, you kind of just barely scraped by that one, but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Kelsey's just trying to even some score that's in his own mind. <laughs> um, okay. Next activity is called Fact or Fiction. Asian American edition. Nice. All right. So, um, as is probably fairly obvious to our listener. Um, <laughs> Wait, is that not me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as is obvious to Dave, who is one of the only people who listens which, to the podcast. Which sucks because we basically undercut our listening by one person because he's on the podcast. No, he'll he'll well, listen to this listen. episode. Hopefully, he was right? in it. <laughs> I still might um, learn something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not Asian. Okay. Big surprise. Wait, let me, All right. let me just we- push back for one second. I consider myself very adjacent because my sister in law is from Japan. Okay. Okay. So I have uh-huh. a, a Japanese sister in law. That's sure. my family. So Lovely. I'm adjacent. All, all I'm saying. Great. <laughs> Boy. <laughs> In a way, we're all adjacent because there's a Pacific Ocean yeah. and it's like adjacent to, yeah. <laughs> um, all right, here we go. So it's head-to-head, Kelsey versus Dave. Oh, boy. And that seems really unfair. Yeah, um, no, I... I, I if, if these, <laughs> Jason said, quote, you are, he said to me, you are getting lit up. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm really he that, hopeful. He said that <laughs> verbatim to me. I'm <laughs> hopeful that this will play out the way I, I want it oh, to. Boy. All right. Um, okay. First statement. Asians now make up about 6% of the nation's overall population. Fact or fiction on three. One, two, three. Fiction. Fact. Okay. It's a bit upsetting. It is fiction. Yes, it's, it's higher, right? <laughs> it's seven percent. Oh, <laughs> isn't seven about six? Seven is about six. You're totally right. Dave is on the board. <laughs> the, ga- <laughs> the game is tied. All right. Um, here we go. Next statement. In 1959, Hiram L. Fong from Hawaii became the first Asian American U.S. senator. Back. True. Fact. Very good. That is a fact. Very good. Because I think Hawaii became a state in '59. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay, so that means like it like happened right. Like they got representation she, right away. I, I believe this person was the first senator. Right. right yeah. Right. Um, right, Dave. Right, Dave. Dave, Shake. Look, David also sure. goes Hawaii. I'll pretend like I knew that other fact about this question. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next statement: Japanese American Miyoshi Umeki is the first Asian to win an Oscar. False. Fact. I mean, not fact. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, which one is it, Dave? <laughs> he, he, Wait, are we fiction, playing true or false or oh, fact or fiction? Okay. Fact, fact or fiction. fiction. We're playing fact or fiction. Yeah, so he said fiction. So this is upsetting. It, yeah. is, it is fact. <laughs> you know what's funny is I remember pull, we've asked that question before and I remember the name. Oh, okay. So Kelsey cheated. He doesn't get a point for that. Um, the game is still tied. <laughs> Despite my best efforts, it's still tied. All right. Here we go. 
May is Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month. Fiction. <laughs> no. Sure. No, fiction. 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 Fact. No. Fiction. Fiction? Fact? I think it's fiction. Okay, so Kelsey says fiction. Dave says fact. Unfortunately, yes. it is fiction. Uh, May is Asian. It's now called Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander yeah, Heritage Month. Dave, gosh, oh. Dave, you didn't you didn't get the email about the the name update about inc- including. Well, the, listen, to the be the fair, part? I did make I did make a post on my dad's Rick's Picks handle in honor yeah. of what I thought was Asian American Pacific Islander. Heritage Month. Heritage Month. Okay, so because Dave actually did something <laughs> during the month of May, which is our month, he's going to get a point wow, for that. Wow, that's crazy. He's going to get a really, point for that. I am right. really struggling with this one. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Dave is now in the lead. <laughs> All right, the first Asian-American-focused sitcom on American network television ran in 1994. Fiction. Yes, it is fact. Oh, dang. <laughs> yeah. So Margaret Cho's show, All American oh. Girl, uh, ran 1994, 1995, uh, which is yeah. earlier than I would have assumed. 100%. Yeah. I'm very surprised yeah. with that. But I'm yeah. not surprised because Dave's older than I am. So he remembers that because he was, I, you know. I didn't realize <gasps> Margaret Cho's been active for that long. I haven't either. That's actually surprising as well. Yeah, yeah. Margaret Cho's. Since the early She's 90s. a freaking legend. Yeah. I remember hearing yeah. about her. Like, oh, for sure. Yeah. She was pretty huge when we were in college. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's weird to think. Don't date us. Like, this is weird. Now I feel old. <laughs> wait, well, how am I? How, wait, why? 94. Wow. Yeah. yeah. How old were you, Kelsey? Like seven? 1994 was seven. Yes. Let's not get into stereotypes. Yeah. <laughs> Kelsey, every time you do math on the podcast, it's it's, it's hilarious. It's yeah. Devastating for me. I, I, I've set our race back 30 years. Um, oh, I kind of want to take a point away from you. Okay, cool. That. All right. This is, this is like whose line is it anyway scoring? The points don't matter and you can lose or gain them at any time. Yeah, exactly. All right. So this is the last one. Um, Dave is winning by two, oh, okay. winning by two now, I believe. So the best part is Jason looked up as if he was saying, "What random number can I pull out of the sky that Dave is winning by?" <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's two. All right, so it doesn't matter. All okay. right, Aquafina in 2018 was the first Asian to host SNL. I hope it's fiction. Fiction. Yeah, good work. It is fiction. I don't even know who won. I, like at this point. <laughs> Uh, Dave won. Oh, I see. Three okay, to zero. Right. It's actually a landslide oh, victory, just as oh, I expected. Oh, it was a shutout. Oh, yeah. interesting. So the first person, the first Asian um, to host SNL was Jackie Chan. Oh, okay. In two thousand. Whoa. Um, followed that same year by Lucy Liu. I the Lucy Liu one actually, as I said it out loud, I realized she yeah. was not the first. Yeah. So this worked out really well because um, Dave's our first non-Asian guest, but right. uh-huh. he, he just won this Asian game. Oh. <laughs> Over oh. a purported Asian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I feel really good about this. Good. Yeah, that was really, yeah. It's going to be fun trying to, to I, I actually have a running scorecard of who wins and stuff. Oh, you do? On a separate trick, so it's going to be very hard to keep straight who won this one. To put this one down? Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and call it a tie. 
you should listen back to it because I think because he got the last few correct over you, he might have actually like legitimately won. He might have won. tied. I, that's why I said I actually <laughs> do not know so who won. Salty right now. No, I'm salty. I just, I'm more salty that I don't know if he he might have won this one. Mm-hmm. It's similar to the time Kelsey and I swam in a race. Yeah. Okay. Dude. All right. And Boy. Kelsey doesn't know this. I held up. I didn't want to be yeah, oh, yeah, 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 hey, I can tell. I, Dave, I don't mind as we were swimming, Dave gave me a little wink. He was like, ah, <laughs> you're going to win, right? Sign of a true friend. Yeah. I thought it was just the massive amount of chlorine running into his eye as I was <laughs> swimming by him. All right, All right, Dave. Good job, I guess. Not really sure. Probably. Yeah. Good, no, I, good effort. That was great. I thought that was excellent. That was a um, good job. Yeah. All right. Next activity yeah. is recommendations. So going to give you some categories and all you got to do is just like give us a recommendation in each. All right. So first, and you've already kind of done this throughout, throughout the interview, but uh, music. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's uh, punk rock, uh, dealing with grief specifically, fiddlehead, have heart, law dispute. Another one, great one for me was bad religion because that kind of got me thinking more about politics and human nature. Um, you know, Greg Graffin is a professor at UCLA and at Yale, and also the lead singer of Bad Religion. And so to have someone, again, you know, through this very aggressive music that I connected to on a, a visceral level, teach me some lessons in how to think uh, was really cool. Wow, that's awesome. All right, great recommendations. Um, all right, next uh, category is movie. <laughs> this is not so thoughtful, but uh, Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. Just great. Some fun. Those are great. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next category is TV. All right. There's three shows I can basically come up with an analogy to life in any situation. It's Seinfeld, <laughs> The Simpsons, and South Park. Nice. And, you know, it's embarrassing sometimes when I make a reference to South Park in any no major life it. situation. No, everyone gets it. Everyone's watched it. But, you know, like, I think those three shows through comedy touch on basically every human aspect in some way. They have run a lot. That's true. Very, very long. They've been around for a long time. Yeah. My yeah. favorite, uh, someone in my high school class, you know how you put like a, your high school quote? Mm. His quote was, flammable means inflammable. What a country. <laughs> Dr. Nick. And I was like, that's so good. <laughs> I was like, there's no way I can top this quote. Everyone's putting Wait, like profound Yeah, quotes. do you remember what your quote was? That's probably like a Bruce Lee quote. I was like super oh, high school. And that I was makes like, sense. in like in retrospect, I'm like, I don't remember what he, that one it was, but I totally remember the Dr. Nick quote. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. Jason, great, do you remember your high school quote? Um, yeah, I do actually. It's not that great either, but it's, uh, it? I think it was like, who was the first person who looked at a cow and thought, I'm going to drink what comes out of this? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What do you mean? That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> Dave, do you know yeah. yours? I have no idea what mine was. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I have no idea. That's a good one. The the nice thing about the the nice story behind my quote is that it, it was quite long. It was actually over the word limit, but because my now wife at the time was the yearbook editor, mm. she kind of like broke the rules. Oh, oh greased for me. the wheels a little bit. Wow. It got me that extra line of text. Nepotism. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh next category is book. So my favorite novel is Catch-22. 
Oh. I, I guess I have to go with that. That's the only one that sticks out in my head. I read mm. almost all nonfiction, but Cats 22, again, is like the only fiction I've read more than one time. Oh, Got wow. It. Got it. All right. Uh, last category here, a life hack. Prepare the night before. Uh, so, you know, if you're driving to a place you've never been to, get on whatever navigation app you have and figure out how long it's going to take you to get there and what the overall directions are, get your clothes ready that you're going to wear, whatever for, you know, big events, prepare the night before. Got it. All right. Awesome. That's like a, that's like the scout motto. Yeah. Always be prepared. It's, it's be prepared. It's not always be prepared. Mm-mm. It's be prepared. It's like a command. Yeah. It's like you understood. It's like you yeah, yeah. be prepared. You like wow, they really call you out in the scouts. <laughs> yeah, they do. <laughs> you with the face. Be prepared. Always. Yeah. Ooh. Kelsey, did you do scouts? I did the Boy Scouts for I wanna say three months. And then mm. uh voluntarily withdrew my candidacy. <laughs> Why you didn't like it? I don't know. It just wasn't like it I didn't vibe with the the troop. I, it was what what troop was it? I remember it was Troop Four Five Two. Oh, that's why. That's totally not your vibe. Is that is it like a n- known thing? That's did you that's do you actually thing. know? What I, I know Four Five Two. Okay, that's yeah, one I of was... the biggest like troops in the area. Yeah, 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 yeah for, oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's totally not your vibe. Yeah, was it not? Is it because I like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was always like so thankful that I wasn't in that. Or you? Or you? Five Eighty One. Oh, okay. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> that's how I feel growing up a UCLA fan. Like, thank God I didn't grow up a Trojan fan because I would have had like huge identity oh, crisis. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, because like they they rope you in at first because they're because they were like, oh, it really helps. You know, all all those skill like survival skill things. But it's like good on your resume. I was like, am I doing this for the right reasons? Like, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. It became this weird like self identity crisis I to see. be. Am I going to be the guy who just joined the Boy Scouts? Wait, how old how old were you, Kelsey? I think like middle school probably. Oh, okay. I feel like I, that would have like altered my route because you wouldn't have had time to do certain other things. Like, no, for sure. Yeah, it was a big time commitment. And yeah, if, yeah. and if you stuck through with that trip, like you would be a totally different person. Oh, man. Yeah, in a bad way. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. Lush. <laughs> are you, a lot are of teething still about trip four five two? Are you an Eagle Scout, Jason? Yes, I am. Oh, cool. Yeah. I've always thought yeah. that was really cool. I, I never did Boy Scouts, and it's something I always wanted to do, and for whatever reason, it never happened for me as a kid, but I always thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, it, it's an activity that um, that means a lot to me. Um, I feel like, yeah, it, it's something I think about a lot still. And really? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, yeah, it's something I, I recommend for for folks to, oh. to give it a shot. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, just don't do 452. Okay. Wow. Like the most <laughs> no like, offense selective. to the people that love four five two. I'm sure, right? <laughs> no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> of which I'm sure I think there might be some listeners. Oh, who are I'm a hundred percent sure there is. And this is not a big community that we're listening to this podcast. No. So we've definitely alienated sixty percent of the yeah, people listening yeah. to this. <laughs> All right, Dave. I think I think you passed. No, that was excellent. excellent. Yeah, that was lovely. Excellent recommendations. And yeah, now we're here at um, our last game for today. Ooh. It's called Won't You Haiku. So we're going to write wow. a haiku collectively. And I don't know, the top just about something we talked about today, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. Yeah. Five syllables, then seven, then five. Uh, Dave will take the first line, Kelsey the second line, and I'll do the last line. Let's write a haiku about 
Yeah, growing through grief. Yeah. Or growing from grief, yeah. All right. Um, remember good times. It gets better as time goes. R-R-R-P-P. Ooh, nice. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> He had to do that one because troop four five two is four syllables, not five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I hope oh, I hope man. you guys don't get a bunch of hate mail from troop four five two. Yeah, I know. Two. I really feel like th- <laughs> we've we've gotten some hot takes on a pretty you know pretty not controversial episode. I don't think, but anyway, I've. I'm very comfortable with what I said. Yeah. I, the, <laughs> the confidence you say it is like you are ready to be like you're like yeah. the pitchforks in fire. You're like, bring it on. Yeah. Bring it on. Good Lord. Listen, Troop 452 knows exactly who they are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mason's not telling them anything they don't know. They, yeah. they know what they've done. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of skeletons in that closet. Oh, boy. Well, um, and I could say that because I've never done Boy Scouts and I have no idea what you guys Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you, have, you have like legitimately zero skin in this game. So that is <laughs> good to know, Dave. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, but Dave, again, huge thanks for coming and joining us on the podcast today. Uh, again, I would say probably the most personal um, talk that we had. Yeah. Like, again, I think it's very honest and very brave of you to come on and show the type of emotion that you have. And, you know, like, again, I think I like the idea of normalizing this a bit more, right? Like being able to talk more candidly about it and especially on something where we like tens of people are going to be hearing this now hypothetically anyone could have access to this, but the fact that you're still willing to open up and talk through something that was a very meaningful part of your life and sharing with the broader community and hoping that we can learn from that. Very admirable, sir. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know we talked a bit about what we learned already, um, yeah. but yeah, Dave, anything that you learned through this conversation? Yeah. Yeah, you know, this is the first time I've ever done this in a formal setting. I've had conversations with friends that are about this subject and certainly my family. And I thought it was interesting hearing both of you talk about what you learned because I've heard you guys do that in other episodes and you usually articulate something pretty quickly and easily. And it seemed like you both struggled a bit and it's not something I had ever thought about when I shared this story. And I think it says a lot about who you both are as people. I think it demonstrated to me, you both took what I said with a lot of care and you were both so careful not to make assumptions about what I was trying to say. And, uh, I appreciated that a lot because, you know, this was my story and you guys let it be that way, even though we're on your show. And I don't know exactly what that lesson means in the big picture, but I think it says something about how, uh, you know, empathy is an interesting thing where we can all empathize with someone who has suffered loss, but it's hard to comment on that because it's so personal. So you guys have the show. I love it because it's what I love to do, connect with friends and learn. I think that's a great topic. And I appreciate you guys letting me do this because obviously it's not what you guys normally do on the show. Um, and you guys took a chance just as much as I did. So I just learned that, you know, putting myself out there 
this was great for me and I hope you guys enjoyed it too. Um, and it was difficult at times, but I do feel, to be honest, I feel lighter. Like I don't have a certain level of stress right now. Um, so it was a cathartic moment for me, despite going through catharsis quite a bit over the last, uh, last 14 months or so. Yeah. Can I ask and you both for one quick? Oh, sorry, Jason, go ahead. No, no, no. Go, you, you can go. No, mine's mine's silly, so please go ahead. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I was just gonna I was just gonna say uh, thanks thanks for your 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 message right there and um for uh yeah it was just a pleasure for me personally to to meet you for the first time and um and get to know you in this like pretty like deep and meaningful way like right right off the bat um yeah so go ahead and say the goofy unimportant thing that yeah. you're gonna say. <laughs> I was just going to ask if Kelsey could make an uncomfortable comment so we can yeah. all laugh now. Uh, <laughs> this, by the way, I just want to clarify: this is the only time you're going to be interacting because I don't like the bond that's being created right now. Oh, really? Well, it's very uncomfortable. Thank you. I really, do. I just like it because I really feel like I got attacked a bit more than I normally do, and uh, I'm devastated. It's weird because that was my favorite part about oh, it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, that <laughs> is the thing that stings the most. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so. Um, yeah, just to, to wrap up here, thank you again, Dave, for taking the time and for sharing with us today. And I think above all else, like thank you so much for being a friend um, to Kelsey. My like he, he definitely needs it. Yes. Um, <laughs> desperately. Yeah, desperately. And, uh, <laughs> He's just repeating what I said. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying it, so I'm allowed to say it, right? Um, when our paths do cross again, I would love to be able to call you OB. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. That's not going to happen. I'm going to make sure. <laughs> There's that no, no permission needed ever. All right. Oh, that's awesome. That's devastating. Happy to have you as a friend, Jason. Awesome. Awesome. And Stop uh, looking at me. Stop looking at me for my, <laughs> for my reactions, both of you. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I want to thank uh, all, all the listeners. You know, Thank you yes. for taking the time and, and listening with us. And uh, we hope you all have a great week. Yes. Enjoy. Thanks again, Dave. And uh, thanks again for everyone listening. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. This has been Jason and Kelsey Have Friends. Executive produced by Dora. Talent managed by Kelly. Design and artwork by Hobby at madebyhobby.com. Theme song by Jason. Questions? Comments? Send us an email at jasonandkelsey at gmail.com or visit us at jasonandkelsey.com. If you haven't already, please rate and subscribe everywhere, multiple times.